I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Starting in verse 18 of Matthew 28, Jesus says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you that you've brought each one of us here this morning. Lord, we've gathered in your name this morning, Lord, to worship you. We thank you for the word that's already been shared and the music, Lord. And now as we enter into your word, Lord, I ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that you take away the distractions of our daily lives, and that we would hear the things that you have for us today, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as most of you know, for the last uh, eight weeks, I've been preaching a series of sermons called Foundational Principles of the Church. And I wanted to come back and remind us of why have we gathered together to form this church? Why, why did we start a church? And what are we supposed to be about? And so we've talked about things such as Jesus Christ being the head of the church and the role of the body and looking for Christ's return. And there was eight different topics that I did in that series, and to be truthful, I was done at eight. But I've been bothered that I've left something out, that I've left out one of the primary purposes and foundational principles of the church, and that is the principle of evangelism, that we have been called for a purpose for evangelism. And I want to look at that this morning. I want to add that to my foundational principles, if you'll allow me such a such an indulgence. How's that? So this morning, I want to talk about evangelism and what the church's role. The church should be about sharing the gospel. It was Jesus' final, final command to the church. First, in the home. Last week, we spoke about the importance of the role of the church, of raising up the next generation, the next generation to come up and to carry on the work until the Lord's return. And so we spoke about that. We must first remember that sharing... And growing the gospel has to start in the home. So many people take, think, well, I wish God had this great work for me. And they got three beautiful little children right there. And they miss the very thing that God put in their daily lives as a ministry to raise up the gospel. And they think that they're supposed to be doing something out there, and they miss this thing that God gave them. And so I don't want us to miss that, first of all, evangelism begins in the home. We desire for our children to become followers of the Lord. We desire within the church that that next generation will have given their lives, hopefully at an early age, to the Lord, and that we will have shared the gospel. I so appreciate it. Nate, your, your sharing of scripture this morning was exactly, and your sharing of the testimony. I wish that sometimes I think when I ask people to sh share scripture, I would just say, would you please just share your testimony? What an encouragement for each of us to hear. How did the Lord grab a hold of you? How did the Lord bring you to, to him? And it would be good for us, I think, if we took time to just share testimonies 
It'd be good for the person sharing the testimony to remember that the Lord grabbed a hold of them at a certain point in time, each situation being unique. But then from there, of course, we are called to share the gospel to the world, to our, to our family. First, I would say first to our families and extended families, second of all to our neighbors and those around us, and then to the world itself. And I want to just look this morning at what God's word tells us about this aspect of evangelism. We go to chapter 28 of Matthew, verses 18 through 20, known as the Great Commission. And Jesus says, in verse 18, Jesus says to them, as he came to the disciples, he says to them, this, of course, this is after the resurrection. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And we kind of gloss over that oftentimes as we look at the Great Commission, but you know, Jesus has all authority. Both on heaven, in heaven, and on earth, Jesus has the right. Jesus here is speaking in military terms. If you've ever been in the military, I was not in the military, but one who is a private understands what authority is. And they know what the chain of command is. And they know that the one, when that colonel comes or the general comes and says, I want you to go do this, they don't scratch their head and say, I wonder if he really means it. <laughs> yes, sir. Jesus is speaking in military terms. He's giving command. This is more than a mere suggestion. And sadly, I think many Christians think sharing the gospel is simply a suggestion. But God says it's a command. It's something that he wants us to do. We are acting under the authority of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not need to fear or be afraid. We do not need to hold back or be timid. And we need to carry out our orders. Jesus says in verse 19, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He again told in Max, just keep your finger in Matthew 28, but flip over to the first chapter of Acts. Verse 8, <coughs> right before Jesus is taken up into heaven. The last thing that Jesus said to the disciples in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Christ calls us to be witnesses, to be ones who go and speak in his name to make disciples of all nations, all people. None are excluded. There certainly is no room for favoritism or racism or any kind of reason to withhold the gospel from any people, according to Christ, that we are to bring the message to all. And then Jesus says, after we make disciples, we are to baptize them in the name of of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Of course, we practice baptism in our church because we believe it's biblical. Turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. As Peter was giving the great message on the day of Pentecost, he gave one of the greatest sermons of all time, of course, led by the Holy Spirit in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Kind of like what Nate was sharing. Cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied in verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven. We are, called, we are to call people to repentance. Now, some people will misuse this verse and think that somehow baptism plays a role in salvation. 
It does not in the actual act of salvation. When Peter was saying to repent, inferred, and there is he's saying, put your faith in Jesus Christ and then carry out and demonstrate that faith by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's that faith and repentance that brings about the forgiveness of sins. Turning over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It is through baptism that we identify with Christ. As Paul writes here, he says in verse 3, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may now live a new life. Paul tells us it's through baptism that we identify with Christ. It's through that act of baptism, that water baptism where we baptize by immersion, when we go down under the water, it's a symbolization. Exactly what Paul's saying here. We're symbolizing actually going into the grave. And then when we come out of the water, it's a symbolization of the resurrection, that we've risen to a new life, that we're a new person in Jesus Christ. And there's that aspect of baptism that is stepping forward and saying, I declare to the world, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm publicly stating, I think it's great that when we have baptisms for our church that we do it publicly. We go out to a park, go to a lake, and we publicly baptize. It's a public, public statement, of course, that's what the early church did, and then saying that I'm identifying with Christ, and I recognize his death and his resurrection, and that in that death and resurrection I've put my faith and I declare that I am now a new creature in Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ has covered over my sins. It's not by accident that Jesus says, go and make disciples and baptize them in my name. Unfortunately, many times that, that aspect of baptism is missed today. It's oftentimes not preached anymore, but it's preached throughout the New Testament that it was an act of demonstration of your faith, and, it was a, and it was a, it's not a suggestion, again, it's a command. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, and I must say to you, if you have not been baptized and you declare that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, stop being stubborn. Step forward and accept the command and submit to what the calling of Jesus Christ himself is to identify with him in his death and resurrection and be baptized. I can't say it any more straightforward. It is a command. It is not a suggestion. To do so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There Jesus describes the triune God. And then he goes on in that passage in Matthew 28 and says that we should teach the new disciples to obey everything that he has commanded. So, of course, in our church we do teach on a regular basis to bring about discipleship, to bring about an understanding and a knowledge an understanding of the things of God so that we don't have to, as I said a few weeks ago, as Paul said, when you don't know doctrine, when you don't know, you don't have knowledge of the things of God and the teachings in the Bible, the danger is, as Paul says in Timothy, is that you'll be tossed about by every wind and wave. And that's where so much of the Christian world is at today, is that they're tossed about. I want to go back and look at some of Paul's teachings on the aspect of evangelism. If we turn to Romans chapter 1. I want you to see here this morning that spreading the gospel to the lost world was on Paul's heart. He understood the command. 
he understood the importance of evangelism and sharing the gospel with the lost. Starting in verse 13, I want to read through verse 17 of chapter 1 of Romans. Paul's writing to the church in Rome, and he says, I do, n- I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because of its power of God. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For the gospel, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. I'm still getting used to these new glasses. I'm sorry for the stuff. Someone told me this week that it would take a month, and it's, it's, it's getting better. So, But Paul says here, first of all, I want to point this out, is that Paul says in verse 13 that he is eager to come to them because he says I might, that I might have a harvest among you. He's speaking about a harvest of new souls, of those that are lost, that he can share the gospel, and he's eager to go to Rome. He hasn't had the opportunity to go to Rome yet and to share the gospel, and he wants to go to the Rome to share in the harvest of the lost souls there. And it's on his heart. He's desired to go there. In the next verse, in verse 14, he says, I am obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks. What Paul is saying there is, I'm obligated to everyone. There isn't anybody that I'm not obligated to to share the gospel. I think oftentimes we say, well, not to that person. They're not interested. You know, it really isn't up to us how the person responds. Many times in life, the one that we think is the least likely to respond is the one that the Lord has been working on, who the Spirit has been convicting. And the one that we think should be ready to accept is maybe perhaps prideful in their own situation. We need to not withhold from anyone. We're obligated to all, just like Paul was obligated to all. And then again, Paul says in verse 15, he says, That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. I must say, even in my own life, oftentimes I don't feel very eager. I mean, Paul didn't let anything hold him back. He was eager because he knew that he was preaching the truth. In verse 16, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Sadly to say, many Christians are ashamed of the gospel. The world has made us, for some reason, perhaps it's Satan's deception, made us feel ashamed of sharing the gospel, and so we were timid. We hold back. But Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because he knew it was the truth. He didn't have to be ashamed of the truth. We don't have to be fearful of stating the truth because somebody might laugh at us. Their laughter does not uh, make the truth untrue. And we should not be ashamed of the gospel. I think, as I recall, there's a passage where Jesus says that those that are ashamed of him, he will be ashamed of. We need to not be ashamed of the truth. We need to be bold because we do have the truth. Do you really believe that this morning, that you will hold the truth, the truth of the gospel within you? Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And lastly, in verse 17, he says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. That righteousness is revealed 
and can be revealed in your life. Turning over to Romans chapter 10, continuing in Paul's line of thinking here. Paul continues to encourage us in verses 10 through, or 11 through 15 of Romans chapter 10. He says, all the scripture says, as the scripture says, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus, or Paul says, first of all, everyone who trusts in him, everyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You know, if you trust in the Lord, you will not be put to shame. Not in the end. Not in eternity. There might be shame among men today, but not in eternity. And then again, Jesus, or Paul makes the point of saying there's no difference. It's available to all. There's no segregation within the church. Everyone who calls, as he says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then he asks a very important question. How can they believe if they haven't heard? That's the challenge this morning, is how can they believe if they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? It's kind of a rhetorical question in a way, because we know the answer, right? We know the answer. There are those that are waiting for someone to preach the truth to them, but they haven't had it preached to them yet. You know, every one of us, I think, will be at the great white throne judgment. That great judgment at the end of time, when there's the judgment of the unbelievers. I think we'll be witnesses to it, because when we read the passages there, it looks to me like we all witness. I'm not saying Christians are not judged at that point. Christians are judged at the, great, the judgment seat of Christ. But the great white throne of judgment says the books of heaven are open. The book of life. And for those that are, his name is not written in that book of life, there's only one destiny, and that's eternal damnation. What a thing to stand there that day. What a thing to stand there that day and to have someone turn and look at you and say, why didn't you tell me? You were the one God sent. You were the one. Because I think God does send us out and lets us choose whether or not we'll participate in his plan of salvation. I think we'll, we'll recognize people. It might have been that you saw him one time. One time. But you were the one. You were the contact that they had. Turn over to... Well, Paul concludes that passage by saying, How beautiful are the feet of those who brings good news. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 4 through 6. It says, The God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4 through 6, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let, sh let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. I'm going to add one more verse to that, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I want to say first of all this, the God of this age, of course he's speaking of Satan himself, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. And that is so true, and I'm sure that each of you has witnessed that. You understand what, I, what Paul is writing about there, that there are those that simply do not understand because their minds have been blinded. They've been blinded, so they cannot see, as he says, the light of the gospel. But then he goes on, he says, well, we do not preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. And in us, as he's saying in verse 6, he says, for God said, let light shine out of the darkness. Now get this, he says, he made his light shine in our hearts through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, through the salvation that you've experienced, you literally have the light of Jesus Christ in you. And the reason I read verse 7 in addition to that is he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. When he speaks of this, he's speaking of that treasure, of that indwelling of the Holy Spirit that you have, that gift of salvation that you have, and that's in a jar, it's like it's in a jar of clay. It's in you. You're the jar of clay. Fragile, not all that impressive, but within that jar of clay is the greatest gift of all. And it's the light of Jesus Christ. It's the light of the gospel. And it has, as he says, this all-surpassing power from God. It's not from us. But you're, you have, or as Jesus said, do you go out and you put a light and you cover it up with a bushel? Or do you let the light shine? Do you let the light out? You see, it's amazing to me it's absolutely amazing to me that the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who saved you, decided to use you in his plan of salvation to bring the gospel to other people. Why he does that, I'll never know. I will never know, but God's plan is this, is that God's great work is worked out in our lives, and our lives are supposed to demonstrate it to other people. See, he could send angels to every corner of the earth and declare the gospel. He doesn't need us. But he chooses to use us and uses us as part of his plan and that that light, that light should shine out of our hearts and be a testimony to the world. Turning back to Matthew chapter 9. As we conclude this message. I'm going to read verses 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. I want to give you a heart of Jesus Christ this morning. I mean, our desire should be that we, our hearts are the, that our hearts are on the things that Jesus Christ is, His heart is on. I want to say this about Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus looked out over the sea of people, over the sea of humanity, it says here is that, you know, what Jesus' response is 
He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. Why? Because Jesus knew they were lost. They were like helpless sheep without a shepherd, as he says. They were tossed about. And he had compassion. I want to ask you this morning a question for you. When you look out at the world, do you have compassion on the world for the fact that they're lost? You know, sometimes our response is we get angry because, well, they're so stupid. They're so foolish. They're off doing this. They're leading themselves to their own destruction. You know, God knows all that. In spite of the fact that they're in opposition to God himself, he has compassion on them because he remembers that they are dust, that they need him for salvation. God loves them in spite of the fact that they're in opposition. I want us to have compassion this morning on the lost because it's through that compassion that will lead us to share the gospel. Jesus goes on and says that this harvest, that the harvest is plentiful. Now he's not... He's speaking about the harvest of salvation there. There is another harvest in Scripture. It's in the book of Revelation. It's the harvest of wrath. When God brings upon the world his judgment for those who have rejected him, who have turned against him and went against him. But during this time, before that time, before the last days, the days of judgment, there's a time that's a harvest of judgment. And I mean, excuse me, harvest of salvation. It's a time of a harvest of salvation. It's a time of grace, we call it. A period of grace when God is demonstrating his grace to the world and the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's a lot of people out there that need to hear the gospel. But unfortunately, Jesus says the workers are few. Those that are going to go, as Paul says, to go share the gospel, there aren't enough of them. There aren't very many. Because even many of those that are saved that have the gospel, that know the gospel, they don't share it. They don't bring out the gospel to those that are lost and lastly, Christ says that we should ask the Lord of the harvest, certainly the Father, that he would send out the workers into the field. One of the things I really appreciate about our prayer time is oftentimes people bring before us in our prayer time, you know, so-and-so, they need, they need this, but, but they really need salvation. We need to pray and remember to pray because it's through prayer that people are saved because it's prayer that the Holy Spirit brings that conviction, that need. I just want to go back and close with that verse that Nate read with, that he ended with this morning. I thought that was so good, I didn't even come across that in my own preparations, but back in Galatians 6, verse 9. Galatians 6, verse 9, he says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I thought that was really good. There is a harvest there. We need to not grow weary and not to give up. You see, God hasn't given up. And he wants us to continue to be part of that. We are to be about making disciples. That's much of what the work of the church is. And we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to become inward focused so that we don't see the lost world that's out there. We want to have an eye out there of what those that are lost and be willing to bring the message to them. And so, as I said, it first begins in your home, and then it begins with the rest of your family, and then it goes to your neighbors, and then it goes to the world from there. So I want to bless you with that this morning. Steve is going to come and lead us in our communion hymn this morning and lead communion.